Let's pray once more before we uh, turn to God's word. Father, we thank you that your love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on us. Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would stun our hearts and minds as we turn to this book, 1 Thessalonians. Father, we pray these things so that our lives might be changed, so that we would live lives more pleasing to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In June of this year, while most of you were in the middle of life-defining exams, I was unable to leave my sofa as I was deeply, deeply engrossed in the 2018 FIFA World Cup. For those of you who don't know what the World Cup is, you simply need to see a doctor. There's no way to, to butter that up. The 2018 World Cup was, for me, incredible. And the main reason why I loved this World Cup more than any other was because of this man on the screen behind me, Gareth Southgate. For those of you who don't know him, he is the current England manager. And during the 2018 World Cup, he did two things. The first thing he did was rock the waistcoat. What an absolute stud in that waistcoat. He rocked the waistcoat. That was the first thing he did. The second thing he did was captivate the hearts of England fans. He had English football fans believing that the World Cup was going to return to England. I won't sing the song, but we know that English football fans believed that the World Cup could come home with their team because Throughout the whole tournament, they were singing, it's coming home, it's coming home, football is coming home. Gareth Southgate had English fans believing that the World Cup was going to return. As some of us, maybe even most of us knew, that belief was shattered to pieces on July 11th when England lost 2-1 to Croatia and were knocked out of the, the FIFA World Cup. Football was no longer coming home. The World Cup would not return to England. And the belief, the hope, the certainty that England fans had was no more. This evening, this passage, the passage that Rachel um, read for us just a few moments ago, focuses on a different return. A return that, unlike England and the World Cup, is 100% guaranteed to happen. And it is of far more importance than anything else because it is the return of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the reason we say it's his return is because Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, was sent by his Father to live on earth just like you and me, only he was without sin to then die on a Roman cross for your sin and my sin before rising from the dead and ascending into heaven where he is currently. However, one day he is going to return. And Paul, the author of this book, is going to vividly describe Jesus' return in these verses. And his reason for doing so is because there seems to be some confusion about the return of Jesus and those who have already passed away. Look at verse 13. 
Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. These people are confused, uninformed about those who have already passed away. But it clearly has to do with their view of Jesus' return because Paul goes on to talk about the second coming of Jesus after this verse. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. So what are we going to see from Paul's teaching on Jesus' second coming in these verses? Well, three things. The first thing we will see is Jesus' personal return. The second thing is Jesus' visible, glorious return. And the third thing is Jesus' history-concluding return. Let's look at our first point. Jesus' return will be a personal return. This should be my fiance, Rachel, and I on the screen behind. Um, she is by far my better half. Back in May, she said yes to marry me. Can't believe she did, but somehow she, she did. Um, however, if any of you know Rachel and me, you know that we spent the first three years of our relationship doing long distance. She studied in Scotland whilst I was living here. From time to time, Rachel would have sent letters and even presents to me, which was great. But as great as that was, as great as it was to receive letters and presents, it wasn't the same as having her personally return to Northern Ireland. See, to be eating with Rachel, to be laughing with her in person, to be reminding her of how great a boyfriend she had was what I was all about. And we see from this passage that Jesus is going to return personally. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Jesus, the same man who died on a cross for our sins, who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he is going to return in person. He's not going to send a letter or even an angel, but he himself is going to come. Now, I want you to hear me correctly. Although Jesus is currently in heaven, and as great as it is that he is going to return, that does not mean he is not with us right now. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us? Well, Jesus in John 14, 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. If we are followers of Jesus, then Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And the Holy Spirit is in us to teach us about Jesus, to remind us of his gospel, to help us live for him. I don't know about you, but that is great news It's great news because it means even in your darkest moments as a Christian, he is working in you. 
You know those moments you feel so far away from God to the point that you feel you aren't even a Christian? Maybe it's those moments where you feel so ashamed of the sin you've committed. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's a ruined witness at home or at school. Maybe it's constant anger and snappiness with parents or siblings. Maybe it's the need to always be gossiping, to put others down in order to make yourself look better. It's those moments when you begin to question, am I really a Christian? Well, it's in those moments you need to tell yourself, you need to know that Jesus has not abandoned you. Jesus has not distanced himself from you. No, he is in you through the Holy Spirit working to remind you of who he is. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Jesus knows you're struggling, what you're struggling with. Jesus knows what you love more than him. He knows those secret thoughts. He knows that you're a mess. And if he knows, and if he's in you working to make you more like him, then you don't have to run from him in shame. You don't have to hide your sin from him. No, you are free. And you should run towards him, confessing your sin, asking for his help, and depending on him all the more. The second thing we see from this passage is Jesus' visible, glorious return. Some of you may recognize where this scene is from, A-level students. You're probably all too familiar with this book. It's a shot from The Great Gatsby. For those of you who know very little or nothing at all about The Great Gatsby, Gatsby, the main character, um, he's quite a mysterious man. Um, And from time to time, he throws these extravagant, unbelievable parties um, at his mansion. But for whatever reason, he does not participate in them. I do know the reason, but I won't spoil it on you in case you're going to watch it sometime. Um, But he throws these extravagant parties at his mansion, and he doesn't seem to participate in them. He's not present. He isn't visible. Well, Jesus, in his personal return, is going to be visible. And his visible return is going to be glorious. We read that in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Sorry, I'm rocking here. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Unlike the first time when Jesus' glory and majesty were denied, his second coming will display his power, his beauty and worth. He's going to descend from heaven with a cry of command Can you begin to fathom that? He's going to have the voice of an archangel for someone who can't sing. That sounds glorious. And he's going to sound the trumpet. If you ever watch the queen enter a room, the trumpet sound for her majesty. Well, Jesus, the majestic one, is going to sound the trumpet and it will be glorious. And I wonder if this glorious return of Jesus is shaping your here and now. You know, you think of an athlete, feel free to think of me. An athlete training isn't focused on the here and now. 
Their life, their training, their diet is shaped by the future, by the thought of crossing that line, by the thought of winning that medal and standing on that podium. Well, is the glorious return of Jesus shaping your life right now? Or is something or someone else shaping your life? Maybe socialism is shaping you and you don't realize it. What I mean by that is fellowship, acceptance, respect, and position in the church, amongst Christian friends, at CU, they have replaced dependence on Jesus. Maybe it's formalism. Your Christian life has been reduced to participation in Christian meetings and ministries rather than identifying sin and repenting before God. Maybe it's legalism. Your Christian life is all about earning God's love by keeping the rules you have established. If your thought process is for God to be happy with me by the end of this week, then I must go to church, go to CE, go to SU, journal, read, pray. You are not living in God's grace. You are not living in the gospel. You are not living with the glorious return of Jesus in mind. Maybe it's biblicism. You invest all your time and energy into mastering the Bible rather than being mastered by the Bible. Maybe it's mysticism. Yes, Christianity is dyed with all colors of human emotion, but maybe your Christian life has been reduced to a pursuit of dynamic emotionalism and spiritual experience rather than a pursuit of Christ. Being shaped with the glorious return of Jesus in mind means even when friends don't give you the love, acceptance, and respect you want, you know that Jesus does. You know that Jesus will one day return and he will deal with your relational neediness. You know that he will deal with your friend's lovelessness. That completely reshapes how we respond to friends when they hurt us. If we think about formalism and legalism, when the return of Jesus shapes you, then you begin to realize that Jesus is going to make you new. You will no longer sin when he comes again. He will finish the work he has begun in you. Now here is why that is such good news. If Jesus is coming to do that, that means he loves you despite where you're at right now. It means you don't have to worry if you're doing enough to earn his love. You're a mess. You can't earn his love, but he loves you and he will make you whole. Rest in that. The third thing we see is Jesus' history concluding return. On January 10th, <clears throat> on January 10th 1920, um, I wasn't about then. Um, after, the after the devastation of World War I, the League of Nations was invented. For those of you who don't know too much about the League of Nations, its sole purpose was to bring about world peace and bring an end to war. But as most of us know, 
there was another war after World War I, um, the mission of the League of Nations failed miserably. What was a great idea by those who initiated the League of Nations, the execution of that idea failed. But you know, when Jesus comes, he really is going to bring an end to all of history. There's going to be no mess-ups. Let me read verses 16 and 17 again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In the act of Jesus returning, those who are believers in Christ but have passed away will rise first. They will be resurrected. Then those of us who are alive on earth and alive in Christ, we will go to meet the Lord. And we read at the end of verse 17 that we will be with him forever. Jesus coming to judge the world, to raise the dead, to bring those who are alive with him, to be with him forever is one glorious act that will conclude history. And the implications of this are huge. They're huge for us as Christians. This should give us a great deal of comfort and hope. We know that there will be a final judgment of all sin. But having trusted in Jesus for our forgiveness of sin, we know that there will be no condemnation for us on that day. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be scared about the future. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, in his life, in his death and resurrection, then you can have comfort and you can have hope. The second thing is that as much as this provides hope for those of us who are in Jesus, there is a fearful prospect of judgment and condemnation for all those whose sins have not been forgiven. And a word on that, if that's you tonight, and you know it, then come to Jesus and know his love. Know his grace and forgiveness. And know that he is ultimately going to restore you on that day when he returns. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to know the Bible well. You don't even have to be a regular church attender. You simply need to know that Jesus died for your sins He loves you and trust him. But for those of us who, but for those of our our friends who aren't followers yet and aren't here tonight, for us as Christians, knowing knowing that Jesus, the return of Jesus is going to conclude history, that should drive us to prayer and to telling people about his good news. We must not see our relationships from an earthly perspective. We must not simply think of people as good lads, even if they don't know Jesus. Instead, we must see people for who they really are, for what the Bible says they are. We must hold out the grace and mercy of Jesus and pray for them that they would turn from their sin and that they would trust Jesus. So tonight, 
What have we thought about? We know that Jesus, unlike England and the World Cup, will return. His return will be personal, visible, glorious, and history concluding. For those of us in Jesus, there is great hope to come. But until then, may we know that Jesus is with us now, ministering to us, and may our lives be shaped by the life to come. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that your son Jesus is going to return. His return is going to be personal, visible, glorious, and it will conclude history. Help us to understand the weight of these things. Help us to shape our lives around the truths that we've heard tonight. We pray these things so that our lost friends and family may be reached and so that your kingdom might be advanced. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.